And if you've got your Bible with you, do grab your Bible and um, open it up to the book of Haggai. Some, some of you call him Haggai. It's not Haggai. Listen to the Bible app man reading it, and he says, Haggai. Um, there's no Hag-E-I in there. Um, yeah, so uh, Haggai, uh, <clears throat> um, which is what I will be calling him for this morning. Sorry if that offends you. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're going to be reading from there. We are reading through the whole of the Bible uh, over two years, every two years. And we're doing that because we believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that it's God's gift to us. It is, it is it's literally, it's his, his voice recorded in words for us. It's a story of God meeting with people, and, and he wants to share his heart with us through that. We believe that there's a life in those words. And, and I don't know about you, but I find, as challenging as bits of the Bible are, the more I read it, the more it speaks. And the more life I discover, the more hope I discover, the more freedom it speaks into my life. And so we're reading it every day, just one or two chapters a day, if you're following along with our reading plan, which if you're not, is on our website or over at the back. You can grab a copy. And we're doing it because we believe that each day we want to spend a little bit of time letting his word, his written word, speak into our lives. And as we do that, it just, it just aligns our heart one degree each time to heaven. And we start to receive more of the Spirit. The Bible itself tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. If you want the Spirit of God to be cutting into your life, to be at work in your life, to be producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, it starts with the Word of God. That's where it begins. Actually, as God speaks, you feel his breath, right? Just put your hand in front of your mouth and you start speaking and you feel your breath, your ruach in the Hebrew, your spirit. Okay, and, and, and so as you read the scriptures, as you hear the words of God, the Spirit of God starts moving in us and shaping us. And that's why we do it. Not because we want to say checkbox, we've read it all. Not because we, we want to be like, yes, I've read it and I understand because I've read it several times now and I still don't understand it all. Um, and I don't mind telling you that. We're on a journey together seeking to let God's word speak to us and shape us and challenge us and inspire us and grow us. And so I want to invite you in to that. Um, and this week, like I say, we've been hanging out uh, in the book of Haggai. Now, um, let's start by reading chapter one. It's only 15 verses. So grab your Bible and let's read uh, chapter one, verses one to 15. Here we go. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Yozadak, let's go for that, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. 
Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Yozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the prophet of uh, sorry, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Yozadak, uh, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. And on the twenty-fourth day, sorry, on the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month. There you go. If ever you're reading the Bible and you stumble over names and words, I do too. So we're all good. Um, I don't know about you, but oh man, I read this passage and was like, boom, come on, Lord. Um, I I love it. So um, a little bit of context before we jump in. Um, What is going on around the time of the prophet Haggai? Well, Uh, The prophet Haggai is speaking, we get it from the very first line, right, during the second year of Darius, the king. And so we know that the prophet Haggai is speaking around about the same time as the previous book that we were reading, Ezra and Nehemiah. Do you remember Ezra started in this character, Zerubbabel, went back to build the temple, and that was under King Cyrus originally. And they started, they laid the foundation, but then the building work of the temple stopped until the time of Darius, king of Persia, the next king. And in the second year of Darius, king of Persia, the building of the temple started. Why did it start again? Because of Haggai. Because Haggai gave this prophetic word and said, what are you doing? Get up, build the temple. Come on. And so he gave this word at that time. So it's happening around that time. It's also happening around about the same time, or exactly the same time, really, uh, as the very next page in your Bible, the book of Zechariah, another prophet who's speaking to the people at the same time, in the same place, the same situation. Um, This stuff is happening sometime after the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah. They all happened earlier in the book. But I mention them because as you read through Haggai and you read through Zechariah, which we've been reading through this week, uh, there are things in there that they draw on from the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah. And that's quite exciting. And if we get time, we'll touch on some of that in a bit. Um, But they draw on some of the Isaiah and Jeremiah language. So that happened before. So that's kind of when it's happening and roughly what is going on. What's the structure of the book? What's going on in the book? Okay, so Haggai gives um, four prophetic words on three different dates, okay? So the first one happens in chapter one. This is uh, on the first day of the sixth month, okay? Um, He gives a word about the rebuilding of the temple. Then in chapter two, we get the second prophecy happening, which is on the 21st day of the seventh month. And that's basically a kind of be strong, hang in there, don't lose sight of what God is doing, like a keep going encouragement prophecy. And then we get the third prophecy, which is in chapter two, verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month. Um, And that prophecy is a prophecy about purity. It's basically a, 
you're kind of doing the work, but you also need to be living the life. <laughs> a sort of prophecy, okay? There's some stuff going on there, and these things, this is going to be meaningless if you're not actually living it out, is, is kind of what is going on in, in that prophecy. And then the very last prophecy, which comes um, in verse 20, is on the same day as the third prophecy, but it's a, an additional one that he gets. <laughs> Excuse me. And again. Um, it's an additional one that he gets. And it's about the leader that God is raising up and what he's going to do. And we're going to touch on that in a bit as well. So that's the when, where, and why. And, and that's the structure of the book. Is that okay? That's just generally what is going on. Now I want to, <laughs> gosh, excuse me. I want to dive into um, chapter one a little bit and just look at this. And I don't know about you. You ever hear anyone say the Bible's out of date? Like the Bible's got nothing to say today. It's It's old. It's for a time long ago, and, um, and uh, oh, thanks, Anna. It's for a time long ago, and, and, and it's got nothing to say today. I don't know about you, but I started reading Haggai, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this so could have been written for today. Like, literally could have been written for our time. I don't know if you, if you thought that. You are a legend. Thank you so much. Um, we need to invest in some bigger glasses, don't we, here? Um, <laughs> so... Um, yeah, cast your eyes down to uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 9. And uh, the second part of chapter 1, verse 9, where God's saying, hey, here's the problem. He's like, you know, my, my house remains in ruins. And then he says, well, each of you is busy with your own house. What's going on in that day? It's a culture of individualism, a culture of self, a culture of I'm the most important person. I'm going to live for me, and I'm going to do the thing that I want to do, and I'm going to build my life the way that I want to build my life. And I was looking at this, and I was like, man, like, this is what we do today. This is how our world works. We're all concerned with the building of our own houses, not anybody else's house. I mean, some people are occasionally, and we dip in and out of charity and good stuff, and occasionally, we, you know, but generally on the whole, Western culture is all about you. One of the catchphrases that floats around the internet today is, you be you, you do you, your truth, you live it. Like all this stuff, you are the most important person in the world and you can be whatever you want to be and do whatever you want to do. You build your house. That's the culture we live in, right? I think I see it everywhere. Um, everywhere, literally everywhere. And, and I thought, wow, this is fascinating, isn't it? And, and, and do you know what God says to that culture? He says, there's a problem, and you're never going to be fulfilled, right? You look at these verses here, verse, uh, I think, 5. Give careful thought to your ways, verse 6. You planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Like, the more that you keep chasing after stuff, the more empty you are, the more you need. The more you pursue something, the more you need it, the more you need to fill your life with more stuff. Like, I don't know about you, but I have to confess, I've fallen into that trap sometimes in this day and age. Anyone? <laughs> Here's a really silly example, right? But I'm just going to confess this. It is a silly example, but it has a big impact upon my mental health. It has a big impact upon the way that I see the world. It has a big impact upon how I understand myself and the, the spiral and the pit that I can get into sometimes. Anybody on Instagram? Yeah, some of you. Great. Any of you ever get caught or Facebook or TikTok or whatever else there is out there now? I'm not one of the other ones. But, but anyone ever get caught up in just this endless scrolling? Or you know, the, you know across the top of Instagram, those of you on it, you get the stories. People post these 
these stories, these pictures of their perfect lives. If you've been following me and Emily, you would have seen over the last couple of days, we posted our perfect gluten-free bread that we made. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was delicious, actually. Um, but we, we, you post all the good bits, don't you? And, and you get sucked into it and you tap on it. And sometimes I hate myself for this, right? Because I get on there and I tap the first one and I can't put it down until they're all gone. Right, that might be, I might be a little bit OCD or something, right? But I, I'm like, I need to get all, and sometimes I'm not even actually looking at what's coming up on the screen. It just bugs me that they're unread, right? So I have to tap through them really quickly to clear them all, right? But you get sucked in. You get sucked in and you get drawn into the, oh, they're out there living this perfect life and I'm at home really bored or we can't afford to do anything this week or we, I don't know, whatever it is for you, okay? Like, but you get my point. And it's not just Instagram and social media. It happens in all kinds of different areas of our lives. And yet the world is encouraging it. Get more involved. Get, put yourself out there more and more. And I think the same is true the other way around. We put ourselves out there. And actually, I think it just reminds us of how empty we are. And we have to keep putting ourselves out there. We have to keep refreshing. Yeah, here's the next loaf of bread this time. What was the other thing? Where's she gone? Is she on youth? Oh, there you are. What was the other thing we made? With the chocolate in it, a, a babka, gluten-free babka. It was epic. I don't know if you've ever had that. It's like a, a, a sweet loaf, like a, what's the, what's the dough called? A brioche dough. She, you can tell who's, who does, you know, all the wisdom around the cooking and everything, really. Um, brioche dough, really, really sweet, okay, and with chocolate swirled in between it. it was, we ate the whole thing last night. Like genuinely, I think my dad had two slices and Emily and I consumed the rest. But in our, in, in our defense, we, we were just like, hey, you know, Em doesn't really get to eat this stuff very often because where does good gluten-free food like that, good cake, not very often anywhere. So we consumed the whole thing and now we have to make another one. But hey, story number one, look at our amazing bread. Story number two, look at our babuka, whatever it was called. <laughs> yeah. You know, we added chocolate to this one and you keep adding stuff like, look how great this is. And you realize that, oh, hang on. Is, is this how the world sees me? Is this where I get my recognition? Is this how, how I, I get honored and, and accepted and loved and welcomed? And I have to keep putting more and more out there. You notice where it says, uh, where's the line? It says, you put on clothes, but are not warm. I think that's that. You, you put on clothes, you put on a jacket that looks good, but you're not warm. You're not really experiencing love and acceptance and all that you're actually looking for. So you, you put on a different jacket and you're still not warm. Like, do, do you see? Like that's, that's what we're putting on. But it isn't actually warming us. It isn't actually keeping us well. It's just for show. And it's empty. And we, we need more. And we, have to, we keep going and we keep going. It talks about how you plant, but you harvest little. I think that um, that speaks to today in, in the sense of disappointment. And I don't know about you, but I think if we're honest and we look around our society, we, we see a world that is living in disappointment. They don't tell you that, and most of us don't admit it. But, but we keep chasing after things and keep finding that we're disappointed, and there's, there's not enough. That whole you be you, you do your thing, I think has gone so far to the point that none of us really know who we are anymore and what we need. Do you know what I mean? And, and we're just trying everything and anything and we're just disappointed with all the things that we keep trying. The good news is there is something that's worth trying that will fulfill you, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah, <clears throat> you eat and you drink, but you're not filled. We consume and consume and consume, but we need more and more and more. 
It's like me on a week-to-week basis where I'm like, ah, oh, I'm really hungry. What have we got in the fridge? Nothing. I'll take a quick trip to McDonald's. And I'll go and get whatever I'm having. And then I'll come home and I'll snack on it. And about 30 minutes later, I'm still hungry. Anybody else get that with McDonald's? Yeah? So then you're like, right, well, I'll walk up to Tesco because that'll get some steps in. So that'll be good. And I'll go grab it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tesco's not that far, Matt. Uh, and and I'll, I'll, I'll go and I'll get, uh, I don't know, a Mars bar and um, a Snickers or uh, Mars ice cream, one of my favorite things to get at the moment. But, uh, you know, and, and you snack on that or a bag of minstrels but the share bag that I'll tear open and eat the whole thing to myself before Em gets home. And then I'll buy her another bag of something else because I ate that one. Um, but, but what we just, you know, and, and it's a little bit like that. Like you eat the rubbish food and you just keep needing more because it doesn't fill you up until the point you actually feel sick, right? And then you don't want the good food because you feel sick. But if you eat the good food, then you're filled and you actually have the energy for the day. And I need to listen to my own preach here. I will put it on the podcast later this week and listen to myself, tell myself, eat good food. Um, But you you get the point, right? It's like that in life as well. It's not just like that with what we eat. It is like that in life. We just keep consuming all the rubbish. And the more rubbish we consume, the more we need to snack on it, right? But what would happen if we actually took the time to eat the Bible, to spend some time each day in God's presence? Like, that's a meal, right? Like, that actually means, like, prepping it and, and cutting it up and chewing it. And it's not the sort of food you can just kind of, you know? You have to spend time chewing it and eating it well. But once you have, it, man, it, it fills you. It fills you. And you don't need all the other rubbish. I wonder what things you consume. I mean, maybe, maybe you're constantly chasing after, I need a new car, or we need this extra thing done to our house, or I, I need that next level job that pays that little bit more. Or I'm going to binge watch that TV program, and when I've done it, I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> like, I'm filling my time just consuming this rubbish TV. Or is it sex, or drugs, or shopping? Do you know, I think you can even consume cheap food in church I think that sometimes we can make worship cheap and we just rock up I, I want to be filled I, I want to be cons- I want to consume this I've come to receive I, I once heard uh, well recently just heard a story of a guy called Francis Chan a church leader someone came up to him and said I didn't enjoy the worship today to which he turned around and said well it wasn't for you <laughs> and I thought great so if you come and say that to me at some point, that will be my response, all right? Just so you know. Because it's for him. It's not for you to consume. It's for him. And we, we, can, we can do that as well with, I don't know, t- take, take the prophetic. We love the prophetic in this church, right? And I, I so want us to step out into it more and more. I love hearing the voice of God. I love people growing in their gifts. But sometimes when we just chase after prophetic word, word after word after word, we're not actually seeking what God wants to say to us. We just need the next filling, the next filling. Give me the next filling. Didn't you get a word from the Lord last week? Yeah. Well, have you done anything with that? No, no, I just want the next word that tells me that I'm good and I'm loved and I'm... God's words are always good, right? Always. But how much do you digest them? Do you take them in? Do you chew on them? 
Or are you just being a consumer of church, like a consumer of the world? You can do it in both places. Let's not think we're exempt. This letter, this prophetic word was given to the people of God, right? Not to the heathens out there, but to the believers in Yahweh, the Israelites. This was given to his people. And so it's relevant for us in here as well. Probably more so than it is for people out there. Ah, oh. it's never enough. You look over in uh, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, and, and God says to them there, like, hey, you know, um, when anyone comes to a heap of 20 measures, there's only 10. When anyone went to a vat of wine to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. There's a problem. God's saying, hey, guys, wake up. There's a problem. There's a problem in your culture. There's a problem in your community. Are you not seeing it? Are you not seeing it? God's like, I want more for you. This is not what I called you to do when I called you to be my people. I want more for you. Why is all this happening? Well, God makes it clear, I think, in chapter one. This is happening because you're building houses for yourself rather than building a place for me to dwell. What is it that sets us apart from everything else in the world? I, maybe you don't realize this about me, but I am no different to any other human being out there. I have flaws. I make mistakes. I choose the wrong things. I sin. But do you know what makes me different? It's got absolutely nothing to do with who I am and everything to do with who he is. In Exodus chapter 33, verses 15 to 16, when they were coming up out of Egypt, Moses says to God, please send your presence with us. Because if your presence doesn't go with us, what else will set us apart from all the people on the face of the earth? So I'm like today, Lord, please send your presence with us. Fill your church with your spirit. Because what else sets us apart? We're just as broken. We're just as messy as everybody else. We need you. And you know what I think God's saying to me and to you? Okay, Matt. Okay, counterslip. But are you building space for me? Are you building space for me? You notice that the, the last bit, chapter, chapter uh, verse 12 down to 15, the last bit of chapter 1, uh, what we see is that, that the word of the Lord was spoken, and then the people of God, Zerubbabel and Joshua and those guys, they responded to the word of the Lord. And they did what the word of the Lord said. And then what happened was this. God stirred up the spirit of the people to do something. So, Church, I was really challenged by that. I was really challenged by that. Matt, are you doing what the word of the Lord says? Are you living in line with scripture? Are you seeking to, to bring your life in line with the words of Jesus? Because then the Spirit of God will be able to move in your life and bring about change. When you put yourself in the right place with him, God's Spirit will bring about all the things that he promises to bring about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All of that stuff, all of that stuff will start to be produced in your life when you align yourself to his word. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Jesus says, isn't he, in Matthew 6, verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, 
And all these things will be added unto you. Do you know what he's just been talking about in the bit before that? He's been talking about how not to be worried, how not to be anxious, how to live at peace. Oh, if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, right relationship with God, then all of this, this peace will be added to you. Then. Then you won't need to chase after all these other things. Then you won't be constantly worried about, am I enough? Am I loved? Am I putting myself out there in the right way? Do I have enough? Is my house built? You won't need to worry about that because he will build it. He will build it. You know, in the scriptures, Jesus says, you seek first the kingdom. And then he says, I will build my church. But so often we want to build the church. We say, God, you do the kingdom thing and we'll build the church. We'll, we'll build the, the house, if you like. But he says, no, 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 you seek my kingdom, meaning him as king and us following what he says, his rule and reign. You seek that and I will build my church, Jesus says. I'll make you who I want you to be. You just keep seeking me. You keep seeking right relationship with me. Um, guys, I don't know how you're doing with that. Are we in that place where we rock up to church on Sunday once a week and we expect everything else to be perfect and sorted out? It's like my failed attempt at going to the gym where I go once a week and on my way out I stop off at Parsons and get a cake and a pasty and something else and Dan Flynn who I used to go with mocked me for it and he would get one as well but he's slim and he could get away with it right but as if that was enough as if that was enough just rocking up once a week to the gym and expecting to be spiritually strong is that what we're doing here you're rocking up once a week here and just expecting like this is going to make everything okay however great or not you think my preaching is however great or not you think the worship is it won't be enough it won't be enough only he is he is what sets us apart are you making space in your life for him oh so how do we do that then do we need to literally build a temple because that's what this prophecy is about right building a temple yeah um so i, I want to say no don't don't go get bricks and stones out and start building a temple somewhere, okay? People already think that you're weird enough. You come here once a week, all right? Okay, let's not start building temples around South Bristol. What do we need to do? You see, I think that, that Haggai, along with Zechariah and the other prophets, they are pointing to something much, much bigger, all right? Much bigger. Were they talking, when they talked about the temple, were they talking about a physical building in Israel at that point in time? Yes, they were. But was that all they were talking about? Absolutely not. Do you know how I know that? Because it's in the text. Like, it's, it's right there. All right. So, so when you read this uh, and you look at chapter 2, uh, verse 9, he says, hey, 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 this temple that you're building, the, the glory of this temple, the glory of this house will be even greater than the glory of the former house. And he's talking about the, the temple of Solomon there, the first one. But we know from the story, right? Do you remember in Ezra when they finished laying the foundations and built the temple? A big cry went up. Some of the younger people who'd never seen the old temple were like, yeah. And some of the older people that remembered the old temple before it was destroyed, they let up this big cry of just anguish and pain. Like, Lord, what is this? And it was so loud you couldn't distinguish the two. But because they remembered the former one and the glory of the former one was better than the glory of the new one. So hang on a minute. What's Haggai talking about when he says this glory of this temple will be greater than the glory of the first temple? Could he have been talking literally about the temple that Zerubbabel was building? No, I don't think so. Because the glory of that temple wasn't greater than the glory of the first temple. So he must have been talking about something else. 
He must have been talking about something else. Now, how long have we got? All right, let's share this with you as briefly as I can. So you'll notice that chapter 2, I said that it starts on the 21st day of the seventh month. Now, if you go and look at the Jewish calendar, all the dates in Haggai are important and they're relevant, and we don't have time to talk about all of them, all right? But if you look at the Jewish calendar, you will see that uh, the 21st day of the seventh month is basically the end of the Festival of Tabernacles. They've just spent seven days living in makeshift shelters, remembering when they journeyed through the wilderness. And, and something happens during the Festival of Tabernacles. Every day, they would um, go to a well, and they would draw out of the well water. They would call it living water. Here's the living water in a gold kind of jug thing. And they would carry, the priest would carry this gold jug all the way up to the temple, and then they would pour it out onto a silver plate in front of the altar. And that was part of the ritual that they did each day in the Festival of Tabernacles. It's remembering when God provided water for them in the wilderness. You remember he split the rock and all of that kind of thing? So it's all linked, linked to that, the journey through the wilderness. Now, if you go and read John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, you'll read there Jesus on the last and greatest day of the Festival of Tabernacles, standing in the temple court, and Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. By the way, he said it in a loud voice so that everyone could hear, all right? Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. This really upset the Pharisees. Jesus basically saying, hey, I'm the living water. I'm the one who provides it. I'm the one that was in the wilderness. I am God and I am the one providing all this for you. But you notice as you read in Haggai, you notice as well that we get this, God says in verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. There's a link to the, the gold jug and the silver plate. This is all kind of linking to this festival and, and what is going on there. But the point being, guys, without going any further into it, the point being, there's something going on here with the Festival of Tabernacles and something that God was pointing to that would be fulfilled in the person of Jesus, right? There's something going on back in Haggai that was pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus stood there, he's linking back to this and he's saying, I am this and it is in me, right? Now, Haggai, like Zechariah, and many of the other prophets all point to Jesus. Who's been reading Zechariah this week? Yeah. When you got to the bit about, without wanting to go off on one, because I, I so wanted to preach on this, but hey, hey, another time. But when, when you got to the bit about Joshua, the high priest, who was also crowned, and a whole load of other things, did any of you kind of go, ah? Like Joshua in, in the Hebrew, translated into the Greek, Yeshua becomes Jesus who is the priest who also is crowned as the king. He's the only priest who is also the king, right? Like there's all these things going on and all these prophets. We, we could go down a rabbit hole right now and I could geek out about Zechariah, but we won't. If you want to talk about that, we'll do it at the Bible Q&A or something, right? But, but it's incredible. They're all pointing to Jesus and you start reading it and it's like, oh my goodness me. This is all pointing forward to Jesus. This isn't just about this temple. This is about Jesus, right? And Zechariah, sorry, Haggai, he does the same thing. So you get down to the final prophecy, okay, in um, chapter 2, verse 20, 21, down there. And uh, we read this. 
tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Okay, a couple of things. How is this pointing to Jesus? All right. Um, Zerubbabel, in Hebrew, it means one born in Babylon or one seeded in Babylon. Okay, one born in Babylon. Babylon, throughout the story of the Bible, is symbolic of just the evil and all that is going on and the way that the enemy is working. We see it right in Genesis with the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babylon. And then later we get Egypt and Egypt becomes the new Babylon. And then later on, we get Rome, and Rome becomes the new Babylon. So that there is one born under this oppressive evil. There is one born in captivity that God is going to call and use to do something, okay? There's one born in Babylon, one born in captivity. And, and he is going to be my servant. I will take you, my servant. Do you remember I said that both Haggai and Zechariah, they draw on language from Isaiah? Well, servant is Isaiah language. Isaiah 11 talks about, um, well, Zechariah talks about the branch, the root that springs up from Jesse, okay? And we get that in Jeremiah. And so these guys, they're drawing on this branch language, this servant language that comes from elsewhere. So there's one born in captivity who's going to be my servant, which, by the way, is language that Isaiah uses to talk about the Messiah, the anointed one, okay? The Christ. So there's one born in captivity that's going to be my servant, and, and he's going to be like my signet ring. Jump through to Ephesians chapter 1 for me. And uh, let me just read to you Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. <clears throat> and you also were included in Christ. Christ is the Greek word for the Jewish word. Messiah, anointed one, okay? You too were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The signet ring is the ring that they use to put the seal on something, right? They would put the seal in the wax on the scroll. And, and so here we've got this language that is pointing forward to Jesus, one born in captivity who would become the servant, the Messiah, who would be the one that would put the seal on all of this that would be God's temple. Who is he putting the seal on? Us. 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 Haggai calls it a house, okay? If you go to John chapter 2, um, we, we won't go loads into this, but John chapter 2, there are two different Greek words that we translate into the English as temple. The first one we see in John chapter 2, verse 14, it's the word uh, hieron, or something like that, hieron, um, and literally it means this physical temple building. And Jesus, he, when he goes into the temple to kick out the, 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 the money changers, and he calls it a den of robbers, right? When he goes into that temple, and it says there in John 2, hieron, meaning physical building. But then later in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus says, hey, if you tear down this temple, 
I will raise it up again in three days. And the word he uses there is different. The word he uses is naos, and it means house or dwelling. Okay, so again, we see there's a distinction between this physical temple and this other way of talking about the temple being a dwelling for God. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to raise up a new house, a greater temple that will be more glorious than the one that was before in which God will dwell. Acts 17 verse 24 tells us this, that God does not dwell in temples that are made by human hands. He doesn't. He doesn't dwell in this building. You don't need to come here to find him. He isn't dwelling in a temple in Jerusalem, and he never will. That's, that's not the physical thing, okay? He doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 tells us that we, we are living stones that are being built into a spiritual house. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22 tells us that we are being built together to be a house, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So, so guys, I'm going to come into land by saying this, right? All of that to say, sorry if I lost you anywhere along the way, but all of that to say, you are it. You are it. You are the temple. You are the house where God's spirit wants to dwell. You, your life, he wants to dwell there. So let me ask you this question. How are you building that? Are you building it for yourself or are you building it to be a dwelling place for him? How are you building it? Is it a den of robbers? Have you built your your life into something that is stealing all the things that God wants to give you? Stealing the space that God wants to come and rest in? Are you filling it with all kinds of other things, all kinds of other idols, all kinds of other loves, all kinds of other desires? And if you are, and if you know, that you've been doing that. And, and here's how you'll know you've been doing that, right? Because you're not at peace. Because you're not experiencing joy. Because love isn't your default. Because forgiveness is hard for you. And so on. If, if that's what you're experiencing then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put something out there and say, maybe you've not been building your temple for the presence of God, but you've been building a house for yourself. And it's sad because, you know, in Haggai, God tells us in verse 9, he says that when we build that temple for him, he will come and give peace in that place. You can know the peace of God. You can know the joy of the Spirit. You can know the hope of the gospel. You can know the love of your father, like Michaela was talking about earlier on, who loves you perfectly. You can live in that reality. All you need to do is start building space in your life for him to come and dwell in. How do you do that? Well, good news. Jesus is... He tears down temples for idols, and he builds new houses for the presence of God. That's what he was doing in John chapter 2, saying, I'm going to tear down this den of robbers. I'm going to tear down this temple for idols, and I'm going to raise up a house in which the Spirit of God can live. And so if you know today that you need to start 
tearing down that stuff and raising up a house in which God can come and dwell, then all you need to do is come back to Jesus. All you need to do is offer over to him yourself and say, Lord, be Lord of my life again. All this stuff I lay down, all these things I've been building, I put down. And I invite you to knock it all down and to build me again as someone who carries your spirit, someone who knows your peace and your presence.